What is up, Tag and Brag Nation? We are here in HQ 2.0 for the second edition of the Tag and Brag podcast. First edition, I thought it went pretty well. It's good. A few minor hiccups. A couple spots we had to stop, change batteries. Shoe off some dogs. Dogs were coming into the set, scratching at the doors. You know, just minor things that everybody's got to deal with. But all in all, I think it went pretty well. It was cool to kind of take a little walk back down memory lane. Yeah. I mean, it sparked some ideas and just like some... (laughs) It just sparked like different stories, I guess, that we haven't really touched on in a while. No. You go back and remember... Uh, yeah, I just re remembered a lot of things that went through, like we went through in our whole path to get where we are at now, and it's uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. It is. We you're reminded of a lot that we we went through. Yeah, exactly. A lot of ups and downs. <clears throat> but today, I think we want to kind of bring it more to the present. Talk a little bit about what we're doing right now. And what, um, yeah, what kind of things we're getting involved in, how we're keeping our season, our outdoor lifestyle alive. Um, so, I mean, let's start with, uh, uh, what do we want to start with? I don't know. We could talk a little bit about shed hunting, but it's just like shed hunting to me is, I don't know if it's necessarily luck, but like we were talking about earlier Either the deer are there and they drop their horns and you walk through the woods and you find them or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, there, there's a little bit of an art to shed hunting, but a lot of it is like you just said that if the deer are, they herd up this time of year, they're usually with each other a lot in groups, high numbers, densities high, especially where the food is. And if you're not in one of those areas... I mean, you're really, you might find a shed or two here or there, but you're not going to find a lot of a lot. No. So it's really if you have access to those areas and the people that do have access to those areas where you see that, you know, they're, they're throwing 12, 14 sheds on their tailgate and you're like, gosh, how come I stink at t- uh, shed hunting? It's, it's really not you. It's just where you're shed hunting. And I think a lot of it for us anymore is like being able to go look at new tracks of land, like public land. And just learn more different tracks of land. I mean, when, when you're hunting smaller areas like we are, I mean, our biggest, like, bulk area that we have to hunt is up in New York, a couple hundred acres. It's still not, like, if the deer aren't there, it's not like you can go meandering around other people's properties and stuff just looking for sheds. Right. Like, I mean, I'm sure people do that, but at <laughs> the same time, like, you can't just go anywhere and everywhere like you're kind of confined to walls so to speak you know so that's why i think like i was just talking to our buddy um tyler kravitz out and he he just moved out to montana and he's sending me pictures of like he's already found like i don't know 50 something sheds and he like he's setting a goal this year to find triple digits i'm like i can't even fathom that i don't even know if i found 100 sheds in my lifetime I know I haven't. Not even close to me. So, but like out there in Montana, you have tens of hundreds of thousands of acres of public land. Right. Like, you know, you could literally walk for a days at a time yeah. and not cover a fraction of it. Right. But 
I mean, the the animals are, are there in numbers. Yeah. Well, especially this time of year, they, they're herded up out there. Especially. Right. I mean, you see the elk, mule deer out there, there there'd be hundreds of them together. Right. If you are in their travel path or where they hang out, you're going to find sheds. Yeah. There's a lot of animals, a lot of deer have racks, and they're like, they're dropping them. Right. It's just a... Uh, the way it is but it's it is cool this time of year to be able to walk around i mean we're so we leave so much of our properties that we hunt not pressured and we don't touch them all year i mean even in the summertime we don't touch a lot of the spots so it is cool to get into those areas and just see what the deer have been doing yeah um throughout the course of the season because we we don't touch them i mean in new york we there's got to be 60 to 70 percent of the property we don't touch right. honestly and so. it's and it is cool to be able to go like learn you learn things from you learn things for like future years and stuff like that maybe different stand locations that you want to get a little bit more aggressive with whatever um but you can learn a lot just by walking the woods this time of year and seeing old signs seeing old deer trails scrapes rubs whatever um and it's it's kind of like a it's a little bit of a bittersweet thing because you'll find spots that you're like man should have been here should have been here you know should have been in here whatever but at the same time you know you have that information for future years and hopefully it stays consistent and and uh you can make it happen right but but yeah i mean i don't know shed hunting to me it's just a good time to get out like get in the woods i know this weekend for us is supposed to be real nice like 60 degrees on sunday i'm planning on tying the boots a little bit tighter maybe packing a sangi or two and just going Get in the woods and walk, mm-hmm. and it just feels feels good, yeah. pressureless, you know. Right, pressureless. You don't have to worry about booting deer. And I'm like them. Dora. I just like I like to explore, <laughs> you know. Just how I am. Um, what else we got going on these days? Uh, I mean, we could talk a little bit about trail cameras. We kind of use those to our advantage for shed hunting in a sense. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's probably the main reason why we use them right now is just to see when most of your deer lose their racks because you don't, you know, you don't want to go walking around some of these properties, especially in your core areas where you don't touch while all the deer are still holding because then you're going to boot them out of there. Right. And they're going to go lose their racks somewhere else. But it's really interesting because in New York, I mean, majority of the bucks are shed here. They're not. I mean, they're, they're a lot of them are shed, but they're shedding right now. Yeah. But in New York, they've been shed for a, a minute. Yeah. I mean, most of them, we have a couple little bucks here and they're popping up with, with horns on still, but, but I'd say 90% probably. Yeah. You feel comfortable going to walk right now. Right. Well, and we've, and like for the, for our trail camera's sake, like we've snuck cell cameras into areas where we know the deer are going to be at. Like right now up in New York, you know. We do have one or two that are still on our food plots for whatever it's worth for the last, like, remnants of food that's there. But a lot of them are, like, deep in the pines, you know, in little travel corridors where the deer are just, like, they conjugate. You know, they conjugate to the hemlocks, to the pine thickets and stuff like that for the thermal cover. And they actually, a lot of them up there eat it. Because if it's green, like, this time of year especially, they're going to eat. They're going to eat it. Yeah. Um, And so we shift our cameras to those areas where we know the deer are conjugating a little bit more and and hanging out for a majority of the day because they don't move extremely far this time of year they're kind of hunkered down in the same you know general area so 
we've shifted our cameras around and I mean, most of our cameras out and right now are all cell cameras because we want the information, you know, the most recent information like Dean was saying so that we can kind of monitor who's shed and who's not. And when we, that will kind of allow us to yeah. schedule when we do go walk. Right. And then, I mean, we're running a fraction of the cameras that we do. Right. During the season now, especially when they're a lot of these deer are getting shed, you got about a month, month and a half where you can kind of pull your cameras down, let them recover a little bit. They've been through a long season, a lot of cold. You might be able to save a little bit of money on your uh, paying your cell cam bills. Well, yeah, and then I mean, you know, we we bring them out, we reassess them, we make sure all the firmware updates are updated and stuff. Because as we move into the spring. We'll start putting cameras out for turkey season a little bit just to kind of see what's there and and what's not. And then, I mean, we're, we love watching the antler growth. I mean, we're, we're partnered with Big Time, and so we feed the deer all year long in the states that we can. Um, and so we're supplemental supplementally feeding them. So a lot of, like once April comes around, June, May, June, those antlers start to grow. I mean, those deer are hammering the big time. They're yep. ham hammering the mineral sites, and that's where we'll shift our cameras to. And we just love watching the growth because, you know, when you get into the management side of things, you start watching certain deer year to year, and it's just cool. You know, whether you get a ch an opportunity at hunting them or not, it's it's very intriguing and very cool to both of us to just witness the antler growth i mean yeah the antler antlers are the fastest growing bone matter cell cell ever like yeah. you think about it and we talk to so many people that aren't hunters and especially this time of year when we're finding the little bit of sheds that we do find and they're like well don't like don't they just grow bigger each year like the deer actually lose their antlers and grow them from scratch and people can't even fathom that yeah and I, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's a fascinating process. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. And you know what, like putting feed and mineral out, a lot of people wait till the snow's done, you know, April, they're like, all right, deer starting to hit mineral. Like let's start to hammer them out. You got to get them out right now. Right now. Because exactly. Especially the mineral. They the got to have the mineral, mineral right now. Yeah. I mean, those deer are, when they don't have the racks, um, you have to get their mineral supplemented before they start developing the bases of their antlers because it's going to affect it that way and while before they start growing their antlers they're going to start um storing these minerals in the rib cages and their bone structure for their antler growth so as soon as their antler growth starts they are ready to just blossom Pop. yeah I mean, a lot of people will you know let's let's stack out the mineral and in uh, April and May when they're, you know, the buck's already growing a little bit. Sure, it'll help, but, you know, you want to get some big bases and everything like that. It needs to be out right now. I mm -hmm. mean, arguably, it needs to be out all year. Well, when you think about that, the deer are already, like, the food is diminished. Like, they're eating the last of yeah. any little foliage and stuff that they can right now. They're worn down still from the rot, which was intense this year. And so, I mean, we've had, we've put mineral out already for the past like month or so oh yeah just we really haven't had it out all year but yeah start right replenishing it here right in Ohio. and we and that's one of the things that we've done over the past couple of years is like there's a lot of the spots that we have in ohio like we have 
specific mineral sites that we replenish year after year. And we're doing, we replenish them every month or two months or whatever. Um, there was actually somebody, I can't remember who it was on Instagram, asked this question uh, like yesterday or the day before, like, you know, on a hundred acre piece, how much mineral do you want to put out? And like for us on a hundred acre piece, you're, you probably want to put out like 50 pounds or so a month or month or two. Yeah. But that's a lot, but, but we like to disperse it out in different spots so that you can, cause I mean, obviously you get a majority of the deer that are probably using that hundred acres, but there's other deer that, you know, that's like their outer limits or whatever. Um, so having it in a couple different areas allows you to kind of capitalize on different deer using them and, um, and it, it allows us to kind of assess where, you know, certain deer are moving and yeah. if they're using that whole hundred acres, if that's their core or, you know, if it is just kind of one of their outskirts and now we got to, you know, branch out a little bit right. and, and figure them out a little bit more. But yeah, the mineral right now, I mean, that's probably the most important thing Huge. to be putting in front of the deer, even, you know, outside of like the actual big time nitro blend with the corn and the soybeans and everything obviously that's good too but being able to have like you know a mineral site or two on your property even if it's a smaller piece um right now is is just it benefits everything yeah and you know what people don't realize sorry to sorry to cut you off but what people don't realize too is the does are pregnant right now Mm -hmm. and they're going to be dropping babies in the next couple months it is so important for a healthy herd in general for those doe to have those minerals to produce healthy babies because that first year as a little button buck or whatever, you know, if they can have a strong first year because they're healthy, because right. their mother was healthy, you know, because they got nursed well and stuff like that because they were all provided those good minerals, it's going to benefit the herd. Like yep. that button buck is going to be a a good size year and a half old deer and then you know you keep the mineral out and and you just see how the snowball effect yeah. keeps going right like no yeah i mean there's all, all trace minerals are are beneficial for deer especially fawns like that but you got to have phosphorus and calcium we say it all the time mm-hmm. gotta have a high no- a high number of phosphorus and calcium um, in your in your mineral for it to be beneficial for antler growth. That's, what and we can get into a whole podcast on minerals probably. Right. Um, but just since we're talking about it right now, anyone's listening to this and saying I got to go get minerals out. Got to have phosphorus and calcium in it. Phosphorus, a high number of phosphorus is probably anywhere from four is decent to eight percent. Calcium, it's got to be ten to twenty percent. If you don't have ten to twenty percent. I mean, you got a couple minerals out there that eight decent. I mean, it's got to be ten to twenty percent. All these minerals out there that are ninety six percent salt. You know, they say they got sixty trace minerals or whatever, a hundred trace minerals in them, yeah. and it's the last three percent. Obviously, the deer are gonna benefit. You, a little they're bit. gonna benefit from them, but it's is it gonna do? Is it gonna create noticeable results? Probably not. No, honestly. Probably not. Well, no, and you and this what? Let's pause for stations to identify themselves while we switch the camera battery real quick. No, that's a good topic. Though. I mean, like, that's a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, and 
they don't understand like the percentages, which is important. Like, yeah. what is a high number? You know, yeah. a high number to a lot of people could be like maybe looking for like eighty percent phosphorus and yeah. whatever, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's and I and I think it's it's crazy. Um, it's crazy the the bigger name bigger name minerals and stuff out there that people would think of or that people would flock to and go to buy based on marketing strategies and stuff like that are the ones that have the Uh, least amount of calcium and phosphorus and so I mean, yeah, you, you just do your, like, Dean is, Dean is a research guru, and I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. We talked about that a little bit last time, but, like, he's researched this. We've used, how many different minerals have we used? A lot. Uh, probably 80% of the minerals out there we've used, we've tested, and there's a certain three to four that we won't stray away from because of those percentages. Yeah. I mean, we just won't. Yeah, no, the percentages are huge, um, and they're it's it's ratio based so usually it's about half the amount of phosphorus than calcium like it's got to be in that kind of ratio for yeah. the, the blend to like work but um but yeah if you don't i mean antler like antlers are made up of phosphorus and calcium right it's that's, all like that's how they're science that's how they're created you can't argue science so and we're talking about in terms of antler growth like i said the trace minerals and everything are good for deer in general their health um just having a well-balanced diet and getting the nutrients they need to especially for fawns but if you're talking about antler growth and you want to benefit which a lot of people do gotta have phosphorus and calcium amen just do your research look it up you want to message us dm us we'll help you out otherwise you might as well go to like tractor supply and just get a cattle salt salt lick (laughs) well yeah no seriously though the deer will still lick like they'll use it cattle do it right and you'll you can put it in front of a camera if it's legal and and they'll probably get pictures and stuff like that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But I guess going along with that, let's uh let's talk a little bit about Food Plot Chronicles. Um and what we I mean, that's kind of the next mine on top of turkey season, but we'll actually probably start the Food Plot Chronicles a little sooner than that. Um but we did a little mini series last year called Food Plot Chronicles, and we just kind of threw it out there last minute. Wanted, like We were trying to be creative and come up with something that we could um, entertain people but also educate people. I mean, that's really what we're, what we're here for. We truly just document what we do instead of trying to like make everything look perfect. Like, right. and We're not saying like our way is the highway and you should do it this way or whatever. We're just putting it out there on how we do it and showing – and documenting the successes and the failures that we have. So Food Plot Chronicles, we are pumped. Um, this year, Rocky, we're partnering with Rocky to bring it, like, I mean, 10 times, hopefully, bigger and better and just more informative, interactive, um, more failures, more than likely. And um, I don't know. I'm excited. I think, like, the Food Plot season is one of my favorite times of the year just because – it's just free, like yeah. It's like not that Pressure. it's not that it's mindless work, but it's just like getting on the tractor and just moving earth is just there's something about it that's just therapeutic. Yeah, it really is. Well, I mean, you're not thinking about anything else besides what you're doing, right? And 
it's one of the things that you like I can't even explain it. It's like you're you're putting in all this work and you're sowing the seed, you're fertilizing, you're liming, like you're doing you're trying to get all these levels right and everything perfect, but you don't know if it's gonna work or not. Yeah. <laughs> until it starts grow you know, until right. it starts growing. Yeah. Well and plus the weather's got such a big yeah, exactly. big factor in it, you don't you just don't know. And so it's uh, the variables like last year we had uh those the the growing season was so wet that it made it very difficult to grow anything and so there was a lot of hurdles that we had to kind of get over we got our yeah. beans in super late we tried to plant cornfields like two or three different times completely failed with that and some of our food plots were junk basically yeah i mean we we went like you think about it from years past to what we had last year they were you know our food plots were like uh from like a tonnage standpoint and and like food in there a fraction yeah of what we've had in the past yeah and honestly like our our property in new york is very challenging to plant that's why it's kind of cool to get everyone to follow along with us anyway because we're most of our food plots our whole property is in a bottom Mm -hmm. it's in a huge valley huge bottom so it's always wet regardless and if we have a wet wet growing season which we did um we probably had the widest growing season we've had in 10 to 15 years obviously um it makes it even that much more challenging so that's what i'm looking forward to too personally this year is will we have rain probably i mean but the chances of it being as bad as it was last year like i said it it could happen but i don't suspect that it will be that bad no and what's cool like i mean if you guys follow along with us throughout our season our dad killed a really nice buck up there this year that was really the only buck that we were like targeting so to speak um and that's not to say like our standards are like super high it's just the age structure up there is different you know a three and a half year old buck up there right now is a mature is a dominant deer maybe he's not a mature deer but he's He's a dominant deer and that's a whole nother discussion that we'll get into but the age structure at least what we're seeing is going up like we're starting to see changes where like last year we passed up uh, a number of three and a half year old bucks that we would never have passed up in no. the past and a lot of them survived i mean yeah. I, a lot I, I say a lot of them 50 percent of them survived yeah which which is, which is huge and then you know then you move down to the two and a half year old age class and more of them survived and so like we're seeing we're starting to see the results of, of our management tactics and even getting some of our neighbors involved, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to be on the same page because we can't all do this by ourselves. Yeah. And so for me, like I think our food plots and stuff like that obviously play into it and, and even our neighbors planting food plots, that plays into it. But to be able to like contribute to that even more, I think we're gonna see like the biggest jump of success that we like deer wise i think yeah. we're going to see the biggest jump of success this year than we ever have right yeah no it's it's starting to it's cool our our land management and food plot work has shown that it's paying off i mean we're starting to see see before like we would never see a three and a half year old buck in our food plot in daylight right um and we're we've been trying to get you know our camp and others surrounded to let the two-year-olds go 
And I think everyone's doing a good job of that. The thing is now with how we're managing the land to be much better for the deer and their habitat and we're strategizing hunting. So we're pressuring a lot less of the property and so are other people surrounding. Everyone's yeah. pressuring a lot less of their properties. Oh, no doubt. Well, now, now those three-year-old deer, we're starting to see them daylight frequently. So it's been a couple of years of those three-year-olds are all getting shot because they're, you know, they're out. The land and the food plots, everything's working. Right. But now those deer, because they're getting used to it and the pressure's off, they're daylighting and now they're getting shot. So now we have to kind of reset. We're putting even more work into these food plots so it's gonna show even more growth, but we kind of got to reset and we're trying to get even more neighbors involved in, okay, now let's try to let these three-year-olds go because we're gonna see those deer now. Right, and, we are. And slowly, like, I mean, honestly, this process is gonna take, has and will take 10 to 20 years. Think about that. But once we can get everybody on that disciplined, we'll start to see an age structure there. Yeah. And age structure, because yeah. there hasn't been one. Right. And the crazy part is, is the potential that is up there. I mean, it's you wild. guys have seen what the past, you know, few years of bucks that we've shot, like Don, 170 inch, three and a half year old buck. Like yeah. that's unheard of. Yeah. You know, I mean, Spentec, 100, almost 50 inch eight point. Like there's the potential up there is, is huge if the deer are allowed to get old enough. And there's probably guys in like, Missouri and Iowa and shit like laughing at us right now because we're talking about three and a half year old dominant bucks, but that's real. Right. That's real. Like that's how it is there. Like there, you know, the state's regulations, the amount of hunters, the land, the agriculture and stuff allows for those deer to get six, seven, eight years old. You know, we're at ATA last year talking to the Lindsay, talking to Dave and Jeff Lindsay, they're talking about passing up five and a half year old deer. We can't even think about that. No. We can't even, we want to see one, let alone like passing up one of those deer, but you can't compare the two because two geographical, like two completely geographical areas and two completely different deer herds and age structures. And you just, so you can't like, you can't compare, you know, one state to the other and get discouraged on where your property's at. You just have to take it for what it is and realize like that's I think one of the things for us over the last couple of years for in New York especially is like we've just kind of taken it for what it is like you we can't think that this place we're gonna you know pass up a couple deer a few years in a row and all of a sudden we're gonna be hunting five and a half year old Iowa giants it just doesn't happen that way because some of them get weaned you know get taken out right it's a process like not they're not all gonna make it and you can't get frustrated on it because you most of it's out of your control exactly i mean a lot of it is yeah you're when we're doing our part to right improve it but you can't think about passing up or hunting like these older bucks if they're not there like when you're in iowa passing up a five-year-old buck i need another battery Yeah, pass up a five-year-old buck is like, well, of, there's, there's six, seven, eight-year-old bucks. Right. So it's a little bit different. Right. That's why, if, you know, if it was in New York and we had a handful of four and five-year-old bucks, it'd be a lot, it'd be a much different story. Right. Looking at a three-year-old saying, I'm going to let him go. Well, and the heart, and the other thing too is, you know, for us, we have the ability or we have the 
we've put ourselves in a position to hunt other states and other places, you know, so like we can kind of fill buck tags elsewhere and yeah. be able to be able to, you know, make New York like a proving ground, a proving ground and a sanctuary and stuff like that, where, you know, the local guys up there and some of our neighbors, it, you know, it's hard to blame them for shooting a deer that like, yeah, they're hunting. They want to, yeah, they're hunting. The, yeah. That's their spot. That's their, land, that's, yeah. that's what they got. Yeah. So it's just, we look at it. I mean, yeah, we've been, we've hunted a lot of States and stuff and it is cool. If you didn't see potential in New York or, or the area we were at, it'd be a different story. Right. You it's there. Right. Like the potential is so there. Right. So, I mean, and yeah, you go to North Dakota and stuff like that. Like we've experienced an age structure. You see it out there. You look at a two and three year old buck way differently out there because there's big, there's old deer out there. Exactly. So well, and hunt differently. And people, there's a lot of people we talk to that think we're nuts for spending so much time in New York because it's just like, you know, sometimes it does get frustrating. It gets to the point where it feels like you're beating a dead horse and you're not like hunting what you want, what you're like in pursuit of yeah. essentially. And that's, uh, once again, that's us. That's nobody like other people would go up there and have a field day and not that we take it for granted by any means, but we're also like it's where we grew up hunting, yeah. you know, and we're, we're now creating like our our dad, Uncle Jay, my grandpa, like the, so many other people got us into hunting on that land. Completely different style of hunting. Yeah. Doing man drives. Do like, you know, it was, it was different. Like everybody had their spots. Like that's where they went to hunt. Like yeah. you had one spot. <laughs> like when you were going to hunt, you went to your stand, you climbed up in it and you hoped for the best. Yeah. You didn't hunt the wind. No. You didn't hunt a specific deer. There was no trail cameras. You didn't even know it was around. No. You know, you, it was com a complete mystery. Right. But now we're like what we've kind of grown up in or what we've like witnessed, we're trying to bring to up to there, to our like home hunting grounds. And we're changing it for dad and uncle Jay. Yep. And he, you know, anybody else who gets to experience that. So it's like, I don't know. It's a shift. It's a major shift. evolution, but yeah. It's cool. I guess getting back to Food Plot Chronicles, like, that's just one of the things that has we've created from this whole thing. And we're looking forward, like, thankful to Rocky for um, helping us out on this project. It's a, it's not a small project by any means. No. I mean, the food plots in general aren't a small project, but producing it and, like, bringing it to the viewer is definitely not, like, an easy task because, you know... Like, we're both the type of people, we want to get out there and just go get shit done. Right. You know, you want to get on the tractor, you want to just go move yeah. ground, and you're not worried about, like, necessarily showing people, but I think it's important. It's very you know, important. I think it's it's important um, for us to be able to just document it. It's important to be able to show it because that kind of shows other people can do the same thing, too. And mind you, like, we have tractors and stuff like that now and equipment that help us out planting bigger food plots we started with like a weed whacker and one of those like whatever oh, they're called yeah those whacker things you literally <laughs> swing around and like whack brush around and we would whack little areas of grass out in front of our tree stands just so they were like little openings oh. that we thought were fields yeah like that's how we that's how it started with, <laughs> yeah. and weed whacking the like different fields and paths yeah. and then it Kind of graduated to like we got that forty inch or forty four inch cutting deck, so we'd be doing circles cutting with the rhino. Lots, yeah. 
And we, yeah, cutting what we thought were food plots in where we were just mowing the grass pretty much or mowing the... They ate it, but... Yeah, yeah, it got down to the clover and they ate right. it and then all of a sudden we started, whatever, trying to turn the grass and we were doing loops in the four-wheeler thinking that in the mud and throwing seed down, whatever. And so it's it's evolved, like Dean said. It's been 10 plus years already of that, like since the beginning of... That us, mentality, really. Of that mentality, um, so it's just, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about last week, it's just, if you got a goal or if you got a mission in, like in mind, just start, Yep. just start whatever mm-hmm. you got, whatever tools you got, resources, think outside the box and just roll with it. Yep. There's nothing that you can't accomplish. But yeah, the food plot stuff will be, some people can even say it'll, it's redundant information, but I've already learned a lot this year. I mean, if you look at the past two or three years, every year we say, oh, we need more grain. We need more grain. We need yeah. more grain. Our turnips aren't getting hit till March. Mm-hmm. After this year, I would have said, I will. I After this year, I'm thinking, we need more turnips. We need more turnips. So it just... They were gone in, like, December. Yeah, and it does depend on the season and the food that's available around. That's a huge factor yeah. in it for sure. I mean, if there's better food around, turnips might not be as valuable, but the important thing is is that your deer, when the, the deep freeze sets in in the heart of winter, you know, that February, mid-January through March pretty much, the deer still have some sort of food. And the chances are, you're, uh, if you have grain, if you don't have a ton of it, it's going to be gone by then. So turnips are a huge, uh, I don't know, they're, turnips are very important in that aspect because, well, it's just they're versatile, you know, like, I mean, for anyone that's got like one plot to plant on their land, that's what I would suggest to plant, turnips, sure. because I mean, you you cover the early season, middle middle of the season with the green foliage. And then moving on into late season, you cover that with, with the deer digging up the bulbs. It's it's the foolproof, especially if you, if you invest a little bit in lime and fertilize right. Right. I mean they'll they'll grow and they'll get big. You'll have a ton of. Tonnage. And it's a good look. Like it just looks good. You yeah. Know? Like that that bright green, like big, like romaine lettuce leaves that yeah. are just like popping out, and you, you know, especially like when the deer are in it, eating it. You know they got. Right, yeah. Foot and a half leaves coming out of their mouth. And yeah. they're just like, they like literally just go in like a, that's crazy. And then you see him like, land before time, like Spike. <laughs> right. <laughs> he gets up and he just eats his bed. <laughs> All right, well, let's, uh, let's motorboat on into some turkey hunting. We have, that's a redemption year. Yeah. Major I mean, redemption year. Huge. We didn't kill a turkey last year. That's yeah. messed up. And we spent a good amount of time turkey hunting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Well, the year before, we get, we we have a triple on opening day. Like, that'll ever happen again. I mean, that was insane. Yeah. So, coming off that, and then, like, we both tagged a couple other birds, I think. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a redemption year. And we're going to be traveling around a little bit and, and stuff to ensure that going down to Tennessee for the opener opening week of the season early April um gonna do some hunting down in southern Ohio for the opening of the southern zone in like mid-April and then hopefully getting out into Indiana with our our buddy TJ and Brady that we've been looking to hunt with for a while from the virtue 
And then New York. I mean, we got it. We we haven't killed a New York bird ever, ever. Well, in t- spring turkey season, right? We've flown some arrows in the fall. Yeah, but that's crazy to think about. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we've really only started hunting them what three years ago up there. Yeah. So, but and it's, it's been tough the past couple of years. Oh, we've had no numbers, no flies. Last year was the first time there was a couple birds we got to chase around. Right. Um, but I think it'll be a different story this year. It's there's. I know they're flocked up right now, but we're getting them on camera. They're right. spread Consistently. out. But at least they're there. Um, Would you like... People ask us, like... on We always get DMs and stuff online, like... You know, what do you look for? Like, what's the best thing to do? Like, turkey scouting. I don't even know what that means. Scouting turkeys? Yeah. All you can really do is... Drive around looking fields. You know? Yeah. I don't know what else you're going to... If you're shed hunting, I guess you can see some scratching and this and that. But the thing is, like, it's... That turkey, like, breeding season happens... It changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, they go from flocked to not spread. Like, I don't know. So, you can't, like... Right now, you're not going to scout them. They're not going to be... Mean, they're not going to be doing what they're doing. They're not going to be where they're at right, right now in, in a month and a half. Right. So it's got to be like, honestly, it's got to be me, like a week before the season. I think. Seeing them in fields, just to see where they're coming out. Right. But. To start, but like, I personally think it's like on the spot scouting. Like it's, like you need to hear them the night before in the roost. Yeah. And then you're in the money the next day. Yeah. Because otherwise you gotta hear. Otherwise you gotta locate them in the morning if they're not. You know if they don't talk on the roost before night. You gotta, but you're not like going in somewhere in the dark setting up. Right. You're pretty much just finding a good locating spot. And this. And is then the birds. More. And then the birds. You know they're obviously awake at that point. So, or they're you know they're seeing they're up. Right. So you're not like you gotta find out. Let me close into an area where I'm not gonna get detected, and we'll call them. We'll try to call them in. Yeah. And you don't know if there's hens around or what. Yeah, I mean, right. That's we, the tough part. So you gotta we, worry we, about getting we, too close. We done busted a few in the roost before. Yeah, trying to get too close. Because then you're more. Then you're like, ah, well, might as well go get breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, it's too early for breakfast. Those <laughs> places open aren't open yet. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't know. That's what we know, I guess. But we don't know that that much. Don't take our advice. Yeah. No, Honestly, we're really good at roosting birds. I we, think. We hear them most nights. Yeah. Well, we figure it out. Yeah. And we're excited for the next morning. And then the next morning comes around and... We sleep in. <laughs> no, no, we don't. There's been, there's been times. It's raining the next morning. Yeah. Well, I mean, the next morning comes around and we'll call and, you know, I mean, we'll sometimes we'll have them fired off. Sometimes we'll have some exciting hunts. The, the hard part is actually killing them yeah they like to skirt around Ross. it's almost like we're we have like a reverse magnetic field yeah it's hard it's it's hard yeah i mean you want to you gotta if it's accessible you want to try to get to areas that they tend to go to when they fly down so that you can be as aggressive or not aggressive as you want with calling because I feel like 
yeah, sometimes we're just, I don't know. The, the hardest part about turkey hunting is we're reversing the natural process. Like, most of the times... You're right. I mean, the, gobblers are calling the hens, and the hens are coming to them. Right. And we or, don't look like hens. We don't look like hens. <laughs> but, yeah, we're setting up in whatever, edge of a food plot or in a spot, put a decoy out, and we're trying to call a gobbler to us. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not just us. That's everybody. Yeah. But... Think about it. It's a challenge. It reverse nature. One of the things that's worked for us though is the what do we call it? Marco Polo? When we're like kind of backing up or going to them. Yeah. We've like we've had success with it a couple I mean more than a couple times. Just moving around moving around while you're calling. And it obviously right having they're responding. Having two of us helps because we can you can kind of keep the gunner in the first spot that you called from Back but on. then like we'll either you know go 50 60 yards towards where we hear them calling or towards where we hear them answering if they're like hung up and call again see if we can get them fired up and the same thing and then work our way back or if they're hung up and but they're kind of like we feel like they've already committed somewhat to us like we'll have we'll send either Dean or myself 50 to 100 yards back like away from the bird call again and put keep the gunner in the same spot just to kind of use that yo-yo effect to try and coax them in mm-hmm. i don't know we try we, we we try a lot the doors are all all open when we're turkey hunting and maybe that's the problem <laughs> maybe that's the problem well this is the proving year redemption it's a redemption year i mean a lot of it you know we've tried to hunt and kill these turkeys with a bow and this year it's i mean we'll we'll bow hunt but it's gonna be after we fill a tag or two we're gonna slam one of them things right in the chops yep no we're not messing around there's something about it too doing that i love doing that but we're gonna yeah that's what we're gonna do we're gonna slam some chops (laughs) all right what else i don't know what else we got going on these days a lot of this, a lot of right now is, um, is Dean and I, like, we've got a lot of other production work in the industry and out of the industry. We're doing a couple different projects. We're doing a uh, self-filming setup project with Fourth Arrow, which is going to be sick. And so we're working on that right now. We're working on some turkey hunting self-filming setups and tactics. Also, we'll have deer like tree stand blind hunting self-filming because it's all different how we set up and how i mean we've been through the ringer so to speak and i mean there's there is there is a not a science to it but there's things that you can do to make your life a whole heck of a lot easier yeah so we're going to be making some videos on that um in the near future which is going to be cool um, we also, for, for everybody who doesn't know, we produce Whitetail Edge, uh, the web show for Whitetail Edge as well, and do, do some of their social media work with Ben Rising, which has been a crazy opportunity for us. Yeah, like, it's been awesome. Um, ben was with Drury's filming and hunting with them for 13 years prior to starting Whitetail Edge, which... We just finished their fourth season, producing their fourth season. So this season is is number five. And Dean and I grew up watching him on the jury DVDs. Yep. Like, and he was one of our favorite dudes. One, because he was from Ohio. 
and two, just because he's just kind of like a, I don't know, he's he's cutthroat. Like the dude just goes like he's a killer. Yes. There's no if ands or buts about it. Like that he is just a stone cold. It's all business. Killer. And when he like we've learned even more this year, like when he locks into that like October November period, it's sometimes it's hard to even have a conversation with him. Yeah. But it's cool because, like, we, Dean and I can relate to that on a certain level. Although, when you have like 15 booners on your wall, all killed with a bow, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a different level. But it's cool because for us, it's, it's been an opportunity that, like, like Ben kind of reached out to us, saw what we were doing, saw how we were kind of, you know, we created our following and stuff. And I think saw just like, the charisma that we had together and our editing style and stuff and, and, and reached out to us to produce a show. And it's, I mean, to get to that point in your like hunting career journey, whatever you want to call it is, I don't know, it's cool. Like that's one of our, the, the people we looked up to growing up yeah and to be able to be now working with him, you know, working beside him and working with him and then learning on a different level of hunting from him yeah, is sure. is is pretty badass. Not like I don't know, putting ourselves on a pedestal or anything, but it's just no, yeah, it's, awesome. it's humbling. Yeah, it especially is. Especially when you love doing what you're doing and you're um so in like just ingrained in deer hunting in their mind just to be able to work beside him and get his mindset on a lot of this stuff is it's it's awesome. It's crazy. I mean yeah. and you know, at this point you know, we've, he's invited us into his house. We know his wife, Melody, his son, his sons, his daughters. And it's like, we're, we're like over the past year, we've kind of become family in a sense, um, or become extremely close. And he's opened doors for us in the hunting industry, you know, that we've, that we never thought, you know, could be open or would be imaginable and stuff like that. So it is, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a cool, weird thing, but like how, like your idols can become your brother in one day and it's just it's all it's all been part of the journey and and dean and i kind of just like rolling with it but also just we've never quit we've just never there's never we've and there's there's been many times like we talked about last week that we could have but we didn't and it's it's going back to like our main mission is just to inspire people to do what they love to do, whether they do it for a living or not, but just like pursue that, do it, go, go do it. Do it yeah. And, and you just never know what can happen or what can come of it. Right. And we're kind of sitting in this position now. So if you haven't already, we uh, encourage you to go check out season four and the other seasons of whitetail edge on YouTube, Facebook, follow them on Instagram, uh, Mossy Oak Go, we're one of the leading whitetail shows on Mossy Oak Go, which is pretty badass awesome. for a first year of, of production and stuff too. So go check them out. Um, uh, you you will learn big buck tactics from watching that show for, for sure. sure. Yeah. And uh, and so that part of it's cool because we've Dean and I have ingrained a, a lot of knowledge just from being a part of it. Um, but uh, but yeah. That's about it That's right about now. It, yeah. I think we can cut it loose there. Right. It's been another fantastic show. We appreciate you all listening in and 
you know, just joining in on the bullshit, I guess. Keep the keep the uh, topics coming. I mean, I'm already thinking of more as we're as we talk. Yeah, but, but obviously, you guys know where to find us at Team Tag and Brag on Instagram, on YouTube, on Snapchat, TikTok. If you don't follow us on TikTok, go to TikTok and follow us at Team Tag and Brag. Tag and Brag on Facebook, where all of our vlogs are launched. But yeah, like Dean said, keep all the comments coming dms we answer everybody we appreciate everybody interacting sometimes it's late nights up two three in the morning answering some of these questions and stuff like that but we love the feedback and we want to bring you guys content that you want that's what we're here for so um keep all that stuff coming for sure that is a wrap on another edition of the tag and brag podcast the second edition number two until next week Until next week, we will see you all next time. You guys make it a great day, a great week. Seize it. Go do something that you love and inspire somebody else to do the same damn thing. We'll see you all next time. See ya. Peace.